Can y'all hear me good? Everything good? How's everybody doing? How were you guys on my vacation? Everybody okay while I was gone? <laughs> Thanks, Tim. That's, for, that's the perfect response. I love it. <laughs> um, Karen said to remind us, uh, she forgot to say this, but we are doing uh, United Community uh, Worship. As that's the 17th and 18th of September, Friday evening through a Saturday evening. And so I think we've got, uh, uh, we're going to be hosting it, so it's going to actually be here. We'll open it up with uh, our worship team, and then pray. I think Karen's going to open up with, uh, with prayer that first session. And then we've, uh, Rodney, where's Rodney? Rodney, raise your hand. You here? Rodney right back there who plays our guitar over here. He's going to be leading a session. I think uh, Totsky is going to as well. So we've got several, yeah, Su- Susan's praying, that's right. So we've got several people who are uh, part of that. We love what God's doing through that. That is connecting the, the church of our city and our region we're seeing people and connecting with people with like mind, like heart, and like spirit. So definitely come out and be a part of that. I want to start a series today called Welcome to the Church. Um, <clears throat> I looked for a while to try to find some kind of um, graphic for all of this, and I couldn't find anything, so I just made it myself. And uh, there, there's a couple reasons why I want to talk into this. But one is it's, you, you hear this all the time, like we do this too, everybody does it, I think, where it's, there's a big graphic that says, Welcome to Church. Um, you talk to people, um, say, hey, I'd love to invite you to church, uh, come go to church with me. The only problem is that's completely inaccurate in every way, and we all keep doing it, <laughs> which is we're not careful, we'll start thinking of the church the way, uh, in ways that we were never meant to think of the church. And so what I wanted to do is I want to take it a little while and just talk about the church. What is the church? And it turns out that the church is not a place, it's not a building, it's not, uh, it's not this service necessarily. It's actually you and I, right, in this service and in meetings. So when we do our, um, our Wednesday night thing, our community thing, um, the church will gather. That's you, that's me. And so there's a whole lot of amazing things about the church. I'm a pastor, and so I'm passionate about the local church. There's the church we call the church Big C, which is the church universal which are all believers from all of time, those past, you know, the past and present and into the future as people give their life to Christ, they become part of his church, the church. Um, there's the local church, little c, that, that's us, that's, we're gathered together, we have a, a similar vision, a similar heart, and a similar passion, um, you know, we're connected in a lot of different ways community-wise, uh, geographically we're connected, but we're still part of the church as a whole. And so we were praying this morning uh, for the church in Afghanistan. We were praying for the troops in Afghanistan. A lot of stuff going on over there. And so we're praying for them and praying that God would strengthen his church. And I promise you they don't have any welcome graphics up right now to their gatherings because more than likely they're having to gather in secret right now. Um, That was true in communist China, still is in some places, in uh, places that are not very friendly to the church. Thankfully for us, we have a lot of freedom as the church to be the church and most of the time, the pressure that we get is just that it's more, it's more pressure than it is actually, you know, someone uh, hurting us or threatening us or taking our lives and that kind of thing. There's not a lot of martyrs in uh, Western countries, but there are a lot of martyrs in other parts of the world that are part of the church. And so I just want to speak into what the church is, a few things about it, how we build it, uh, what it looks like, what your part would be. And so we're going to cover this over the next couple of weeks. But let me start with some pictures um, Karen and I had a chance to, to live in Europe for a while. We lived in England for several years. We got to travel extensively. We saw some amazing things, saw castles and all kinds of things. But there are some incredible church buildings 
in Europe. There are in America as well. Um, I'm going to show you one of them. This, this is just a picture of one of the churches um, in Europe. I think this is in France. I could be wrong, but I think this is in France, one of them. Um, and there's all kinds of different architecture. The next picture is a picture of the interior of a church. It's a different church. But just look at that. I mean, can you imagine the detail and the craftsmanship and what it took to build something like that? That always amazes me. Um, the Bible talks about the temple. When the temple was built, that they had craftsmen come in who worked with gold, who worked with stone, who worked with all these things, and it was symbolic in beautiful ways. Karen and I got to attend a church in, uh, in England, a little town called Woodbridge, England, just outside the base where I was stationed, and it was, uh, it was a majestic church. It wasn't really huge, but it was big for the, for the town that it was in. It had a balcony, you know, a, a wraparound balcony, uh, where the balcony was out over the congregation, you know, so there was almost like a, you know, a downstairs and upstairs kind of thing where it went around, and there was a massive pipe organ that covered the entire, like, three stories of the back wall. It was incredible, and then when we first went there, there was something like 10 people there, so it sat somewhere around 300. It had been there since the 1700s, and at one point, it was part of some of the great awakenings that went in, in the revival that went across England, and there was more than 300 people in that church at one point, and it was just the church building was majestic. It had the, the platform where, you know, the pastor would come up and speak, and it was, it was a, you know, incredibly um, craftsman-built, majestic wood. It, it was just, it was amazing. I, I didn't have any pictures, but I'd love to, to, I'd love to show it to you. And part of what was beautiful is they would walk, the pastor would walk halfway up between the two floors, you know, the balcony and down here, and he would preach from that place. And I remember thinking, man, that's kind of arrogant. I mean, you know, why, you got, why do you have to have the pastor all high and lifted up? And then, you know, here I am. So, <laughs> right? But, but the reason back then was, was because that's how you got your audio out there, right? You spoke, and when you spoke, you spoke this way and this way, and it covered the entire room. And the other thing was so beautiful about it, it wasn't lifted up because of the pastor, it was lifted up because that was where the Word of God was spoken. That was where, that's, that's where sermons were, were preached and lessons and messages were taught and discipleship and ministry occurred and spoken into the hearts and the lives of people. But the church isn't a building, and we kind of know that. I think we all know that. But to some degree, sometimes we don't act like we know that. And I want to try to change some of that. So what is the church if it's not a building? There's a word in the Greek called ecclesia. Some of you guys have heard this, ecclesiastical. You've heard words like ecclesiastic. All these words are like uh, 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 even a, a book in the Bible that means the preacher or um, to do with the church is kind of wor- wor- how it works out. And the definition is interesting. It comes from two words, actually. It comes from the word ek, ek, meaning out from and to. So to come out from something and go to something. And the second word is kaleo, meaning to call. And so what ecclesia, what the church is, and what it means, is the called out ones. <laughs> it's a beautiful phrase when you think about it. That, that in this mass of, of people, billions and billions of people, um, in our time, in the time before, in the time that will come, out of that mass of people, there are some who've chosen to trust Jesus For their salvation, that he came and set them free from their sin. What he did on the cross, the price that he paid, was enough to take away your sin. And believing that, something happens to us when we believe that, and our nature has changed, our heart has changed, 
But what's interesting is that we come into something. We came out. The Bible talks about coming out from among them and being separate in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, it looks, some, it looks something like you being a new creation. That phrase is so powerful because it literally almost means a new species. <laughs> and that's, that's crazy when you think about what that might actually look like. But it literally means called out of this mass of people, to something. So called out from and into something. And so that's what the church is. We're the called out ones. We've been given a purpose. We've been given a mission. We've been given a calling. We've been given a challenge. And we've been given the authority and the power to do what God has called us to do. And so that's important to know. So Jesus gave us a model of this in Matthew 28. So I want to just read this. I read this, as a, this a lot. This is the Great Commission um, it's 28, 16, Matthew 28, 16, and 20. And it talks about how the, the end of Jesus is about to be taken up into the, into the heavens. And so the last thing that happens is they, ga- they gather in Galilee. So it says the, the, the 11 disciples, they'd not yet chosen Matthias. You see in the book of Acts where they choose the 12th disciple because that mattered for a whole lot of reasons I won't mention. But the 11 disciples come. To Galilee, it says, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, here's what's interesting. He, they came from Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem is about 100 miles from this place that they gathered. So Jesus comes to them, and he meets with them, and, and he, 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 he appears to them. And they're blown away, and it's incredible. You know, Thomas is like, I won't believe unless I can put my finger into his wound. And so Jesus comes says, here you go. Right? And so from that moment, they're, their whole world has changed. And he says, I want to meet with you, and I want to talk with you, but I want you to take a 100-mile walk before I do. Now, I wonder why he did that. You don't see this in Scripture. It's just kind of in the back, in the context of it. He asked them to take a 100-mile walk to Galilee, up a mountain. <laughs> it's, they walk 100 miles, and then when they get there, they have to walk up a mountain to meet with him there. And it goes on, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That blows my mind, but that's just human nature, I think, for us to do that sometimes. Most of them worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, Now listen, this, these are the last words He's going to speak to them before he ascends to heaven. Now, we know what happens next. The book of Acts, the church is born in the second chapter of Acts, and there's an explosion that goes, and Jesus says, the things that I did, you're going to do greater things than even I did. And and where Jesus was, was God in one person, in one specific local place, ministering, now Jesus has said, I'm going to take up residence in your hearts. And with these 11 men, he did. And in Galilee, he stands there. And Karen and I had the, 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 the privilege of sitting on a, on a boat on the, on the shores of Galilee and looking up at that mountain where Jesus had this conversation with his disciples. And my mind was absolutely blown when I thought about the fact that 11 men, eventually 12, but 11 men on the shore of Galilee, we're sitting in that boat. It's a glass. The water is just absolutely beautiful. It's glass. And in that local little village, not too far from Capernaum, that small little town, seemingly insignificant in every way, Jesus says this to these men. And they went from 11 men and then 100 and something in the upper room. We see that some had gathered, the faithful, right? From that to within 300 years, Christianity had overtaken the Roman Empire. 
Not a single church building to be had because they were, they were persecuted, they were destroyed, they were killed if they found them. If they killed the leaders, another leader grew up in, in their place and heard the voice of God to take that local congregation and minister to them. Not a single church building. They couldn't advertise. They couldn't market. There was no Facebook. There was no communication outside of walking somewhere and telling them or maybe send a letter, but that was very, very dangerous, right? And in 300 years, within 300 years, a persecuted church, holy called out group of people won millions and millions of people in the Roman Empire. So much so that it turned the Roman Empire until Constantine got, gave his life to Christ at some point in the early 300s and made Christianity the Roman church, um, what do you call it, the state church, <laughs> which was a challenge I won't get into. There's a whole history lesson in that. But here's what's beautiful. It started with 11 guys. So what was it about those guys? that enabled them to come away from where they'd been, cowering in fear, full of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and they go out and they preach the gospel everywhere they want. This, I think, is what did it. A hundred-mile walk, contemplating, what's Jesus going to say to us when we get there, right? How long is he going to be with us? I don't know. All these questions in their head. This is what he says. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how he started that. All authority, not some, all of it. Every single bit has been given to me, right? And then he says this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said, I have to go away so the Holy Spirit could come. He said that in John. And now he's telling them, I'm about to go away, but I am not going to go away. I'm going to be with you. Right? Beautiful. So here's what happened with me. I just had a reorientation in the last probably 10, 15, 20 years. Because I've been pastoring for 30-something years now. Um, planting churches, all kinds of things. And I was taught in Bible college, as many of us were, in seminary, different places, that if you go and you build a church then from building a church, you get to make disciples, and the disciples go out and make other disciples, and those disciples make other disciples. So we got busy doing that. I remember 20-something years old, when the first church, I led a church at 25, which is maybe not a good idea, but I did it. And so at 25 years old, I'm trying to figure out how do I do this. I have no idea outside of what they taught me in Bible college. And so I go to conferences, and in conferences they say, if you want to grow a big church, this is what you do. Buy my book, Follow our program. It's awesome. Come visit us at this church and do it. And so I did. I, we traveled all over the place. We'd go to conferences. I read 100 books, church growth books. And I drove my congregation crazy because there was always one more thing they had to do, one new thing, another program we were going to start, another marketing ploy, I mean, all these different things that we're going to do. And, and what I discovered was that I was actually trying to build the church, but that was never my job, was it? Because Jesus said he was going to do that. My job was to make disciples. That's what he told us to do. He never told us to go and build the church. He told us to make disciples. So I thought if, I'm, if I built a great church, I could make disciples, programs, staff, marketing, the whole thing. And I saw a lot of people attend church. They would come to the building and attend the church, but not many of them were the church. I didn't see a lot of disciples, learners, people who following Christ, wanting to be like him in competency and his character and doing what he did. I didn't see much of that. 
I didn't see much of what Jesus said a disciple should look like. I didn't see a lot of people who looked like Jesus, including in many ways myself. I was told if I built the church, then we would get disciples. But it turns out what we were producing were not disciples, but consumers. And I've seen that a lot. I've been guilty of it, producing a consumer. I've been guilty of being a consumer. But it's not what Jesus had in mind. We weren't making the disciples that Jesus described. Some of them were coming, they would give, they would serve a little bit, they would give a little bit, they would show up most Sundays, but for the most part, they weren't looking like the early church, right? This is not what Jesus modeled. Remember he said in Matthew 16, um, he's talking to Peter, and Peter, he's asking them, who do, who do men say that I am? And they ask, he asked this question to the disciples, and the disciples say different things. And he gets to Peter, and he says, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are God. This is who you are. And Jesus goes down, and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I will build my church. What was the rock? Was Peter the rock? Some people think he was. Whole denominations have been built around the fact that Peter was the rock, but it wasn't. The rock was the revelation that Jesus was who he said he was. Right? That he was the son of the living God. That all authority had been given to him. And that we were to go and make disciples. But he was going to build his church. That was never our job. So what I discovered is this. That if you make disciples, you get the church. If you try to build the church, you're getting busy doing what Jesus, only Jesus can do. What, what he told you and I to do was to make disciples. And when we do that, we get the church. So I want to take one more look at Matthew 28 just 18 through 20. And I want you to pay attention to two words before we wrap this up. Two words. One is therefore. The other word is obey. I want you to see what they look like in this passage. It says, Then the eleven disciples went uh, to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore. So, funny phrase I learned. I've never lost it. When you see a therefore... You ask, what is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> right? So every time you see this word, it's a, it's a culmination of what just preceded it. So what is he saying? He's saying, therefore, because of what I've, what I've just described, what I just explored, what I just revealed to you, because of that, you now go and make disciples and baptize them. Go make disciples of every single nation. It doesn't matter what they are, what they look like. doesn't matter if they're angry with God, if they're completely against God, or they're for God. It doesn't make any difference. Just go everywhere you go and make disciples. And he's called you and I to go make disciples. You are not exempt from making disciples. That's not my job. It's not the job of the pastors or the staff or the leaders or the special people. It's every single Christian's job to go and make disciples. Let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Because here's what's challenging to me, because it challenges me in a big way. When someone said, who are your disciples, I tended to shy away from that question. Because I, I don't want to, come on, I want to make disciples for Jesus, right? We all say this stuff. That's, that's not what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples. And then Paul goes through this whole thing in Corinthians where he's given some instructions to the church, right? And he's saying, hey, do this unless this is occurring and then do this. And so he's going through this and this really interesting phrase pops up. He says, look, just imitate me as I imitate Christ. So you know what he was doing? He was saying, hey, listen, rather than give you a thousand instructions and every little detail about what you ought to do or what you ought to not do, 
Here's what you do. Find someone who's following Jesus who is, who is not maybe a perfect example because there's only one perfect example, and that's Jesus. But there's someone who models Jesus, who looks like him in their character, who looks like him in his competencies. He's praying for the sick. He's seeing God heal people. He's seeing demons flee. He's seeing prayer change things. He's seeing their family is whole. He's seeing their relationships are full, and and they're releasing people to their inheritance, not gathering people to themselves. Paul's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. He's giving the caveat. You don't follow me. I'm not asking you to follow me. Not everybody needs to follow me, but some people will because Jesus told me, Dave, I want you to go and make disciples. So here's the thing, we have bought into the lie that we can't do that. So you know what we did? We come into a building, we turn that that responsibility over to the experts. And I'm one of them, so that tells you what experts are like. (laughs) Most of you guys know me well enough to know I'm no expert, right? We're all disciples, we're all learners, that's what the word means, we're all growing I am growing, I promise you, constantly growing, asking the Lord, Lord, help me understand why we're not seeing more supernatural encounters with you. Why are we not seeing healings? Why are we not? Can I tell you one reason? Is because we're afraid to be awkward. We're afraid to be ostracized. We're afraid to be different. We're afraid to be the called out ones that look different than the world. We're afraid because we get persecuted which is not persecution at all. It's somebody looks at you sideways and calls you a conservative. Let's be honest, right? Because aren't Christians and conservatives the same thing, right? That's what everybody says. But we know better. Jesus never got involved in the political array, did he? They brought him a coin, said, should you pay taxes or not? And Jesus, I mean, I love Jesus, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just the stuff. He's like, well, whose face is on the coin, you knothead? You knothead is in my version of the Bible, but not any other version. But I think it should be sometimes, right? Whose face is on the coin? There are things that happen in this world that are not part of the kingdom that the world is going to do, and some of those things we need to be a part of, right? We have to. The Bible says be in the world, but what? Not of it. So what's the difference? The difference is we are on a mission that sometimes coincides with a conservative view, but not always. Sometimes we're on a mission that coincides with with a Democrat or or Republican perspective or otherwise, and sometimes they don't. And so if your priority becomes political, you lose the authority and the power, and the anointing that God was going to give you and has given you so that you could do the mission he's called you to. So he says, last words again, because I've, given, I've been given all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, now, because of that, you can make disciples. Why? Because he has also given that authority and that responsibility to you. Listen, God never gives you responsibility without giving you commensurate authority and power to get that responsibility done. You want to be a good parent? Stop leaning on your own understanding and reading all the silly books. Nothing wrong with the silly books. There's a lot of good stuff in the silly books. But there's a better book that tells you how to be a person that your kid wants to be. 
We used to do this all the time with, with youth pastors that would come in, and Karen and I would talk into some of these younger pastors, youth pastors, because we were a little bit older. And one of the first things we'd tell them is, will you please stop trying to be like the kids and be someone the kids want to be like? Right? Follow me as I follow Christ. You don't have to be that relevant. Some of the most powerful youth pastors I've ever met have been grandmothers. <laughs> so it, it's not about relevance. It's fine, but it's not the primary thing. It's this. Therefore, because all authority has been given, we can make disciples and we must make disciples. You need to have disciples. Don't make it weird and make them call you rabbi or some silly thing like that. Don't do that. But it doesn't take away your responsibility from becoming a disciple and discipling disciples. Does that make sense? Because that's part of what we do so that Jesus can build his church. The second word was simple. It's obey. Listen to this again. Um, this is verse 20. This is, this is what he said. I'm going I'm to get you to make disciples, and here's what you're supposed to do with them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay, so there's two parts of this, because the second part is, and I am with you always to the end of the age. What does that mean? There's two ways. One is Scripture, because here's the thing. If you're not careful, you will fall into the trap of the Holy Trinity being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. But that's not the Trinity. I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. But it is a framework. It's a revelation of the one who wrote it. I'm supposed to be working and connecting and loving and being ministered to and ministering to the author of the book, not the book, right? Nothing wrong with the book. The book is amazing. I'm I'm incredibly thankful for the book. But if we're not careful, we miss the fact that the Bible says that I'm going to teach you, that we are, as disciples are teaching people not about Jesus or about ministry, about the Holy Spirit, but teaching them to obey what Jesus has commanded. And the whole fact that he's going to be with us always means the things that are written that Jesus has said and also the things that he's saying to us now in a rhema word, Right? We have the, the logos, the written word, the, the, the word that is so enmeshed with Jesus that he is one and the same with the word, right? And so much so that it moves into the rhema that when I get this into my heart and the revelation of who he is, his character and what he's like and how he works, learning his ways. Remember, that's what he said, learn my ways, walk in my ways. You do that and then what begins to happen? The mind of Christ, the Bible says, has already been given to us and all of a sudden this alignment begins to take place. And we become more and more like Jesus. And we realize that the Bible talks about it this way, that that Jesus in us is Jesus in the earth. That we get to represent, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul comes and he represents Jesus and he pours himself out and the gifts and the callings of God are, are disseminated into all of us as disciples. And all of that he uses as Legos to build together a most glorious and amazing church. Something so powerful, he said, that the gates, the governments of hell, cannot push back against. Right? So he said, obey. And he wouldn't say that if you couldn't do it. So if you're struggling, this is, I say this all the time because we get wrapped up in legalism and forget that Jesus is grace personified. So what does it look like as a disciple? If you're discipling, if you've been discipled, you learn this. You get grace. People, someone's going to speak into your life and go, why are you beating yourself up? Why are you acting like that? Stop doing that. It's not, listen, that whole passage in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, almost all of it was written to people under the law, and you've made it your Christian manifesto. What are you doing? That's not what you do. 
The foundation of the new covenant is love, right? Love, your, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you fulfill the law. That's what Jesus said, right? What are the, what's the greatest commandments? Jesus said there's two of them. Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what does that look like? You can, do you know you can turn loving God into a legalistic law concept? Do you know that? Or you could just love God. <laughs> and you could let him love you back. What does that look like? What happens when you sin? Hebrews goes after this in a big way, and it says this. It says you can, you can come boldly into the throne room of grace for help in your time of need. What does that mean? That means when you are leaning in to obeying what God has called you to, not just being um, a, a good character, not just doing the right thing. We've got country music songs that can handle that part of theology, right? What about the subtle part that speaks to who you are, your identity? You letting your identity be caught up in how many times you read your Bible or how many times you attend church or how many times you do some good thing or how someone else treats you or the way people look at you or how much money you make. All this kind of stuff, the Bible says that this is what the world chases after. Don't be like the world, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's happening is you're being discipled. You're learning the character and the nature of God. And at some point, God comes to you himself and he reveals himself to you for whatever the situation is in need of. You need a healer, he reveals himself as a healer. You need a provider, he reveals himself as a provider. You begin to see the multifaceted, beautiful jewel that is the God that we all serve and love and obey, but not obey him so he would somehow be kind to us, but obey him because he already has been kind to us. Discipleship, building into. So let me close with this. There are two questions, disciple. You've heard me say this if you've been around. Two questions that you have to ask as a disciple. First of all, what is God saying? You cannot obey him as a disciple unless you know what he's saying to you. So what is he saying to you? What is God saying? Can I hear God? Do I, have I made enough time in my life? Have I given God enough room? Am I still long enough to hear the voice of God, or do I throw myself in front of Netflix, like we all do, right, and binge until I'm so sleepy I have to go to sleep, and then I get up tired and I start the whole process all over again. When the Bible says, if you will, Hebrews goes after this, do everything that you can to enter into his rest. Some of that's theology, knowing that God no longer, because of what Jesus has done, and you have trusted in Jesus, and you have become a disciple, a learner, a follower of Jesus. Because of that, the Bible says, God no longer holds your sin against you. But the wrath of God is being poured out on the sinner. Not because God wants to, he's made a way of salvation, but because they've not chosen the only way to have the wrath taken away. So part of discipleship is hearing the voice of God. If you're so wrapped up in legalism, if, you, if you're so afraid, if you haven't dealt with the foundational issues, if you're not getting discipled, learning about who Jesus is, learning about what the cross means in your life, if you're not getting that, then what happens is you begin to take on the identity of the cultural church. And so then it becomes about, because I know I, I can get wrapped up in it too. Become, it starts becoming about what, how am I reaching out to the world? How do we market well? How do we look on social media? What, what are the sermons like? You know, are they, are they peppy? How, what's the worship? And you start going through all this stuff. And then you, you, you start feeling the presence, like this morning, feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit during worship. And, and the cultural church says, that's awkward for unbelievers. Good! 
It's literally the point to be awkward. The whole idea is to show us, you want these guys, the called out ones, have something that I don't have. I remember that feeling. I remember being in the presence of the called out ones when I was not a called out one. And I remember thinking, I don't know what this is, but it is powerful. I remember the first time I heard a message in tongues. I just thought it was Spanish because I'm from Alabama, right? And I'm like, that is, I don't know what that is, but that is, that Spanish is powerful. I just remember thinking that, right? What was I feeling? I was feeling the power in the presence of God. But someone, some disciple, had been bold enough to hear the voice of God and say, God, I feel like you're moving in my heart and you're moving something inside of me to, to speak out this gift, to give a message in, an, in a language I don't even understand, but it's been given to me. And then trust that when it goes out there, someone's going to interpret that. And it's a spiritual thing, not a natural thing. But I've seen it even in our church. My wife gave a message in tongues this was just a year or two ago. In this message in tongues, there were three people in the room that heard three different languages in, language in that message in tongues. One of them was a Bosnian missionary. Another one was a, a mom who taught, it's actually Jamie, who, who were celebrating her husband, her planning a church, who her, had been teaching her kid the Canterbury Tales in Old English, Anglo-Saxon, for goodness sake. 500 A.D., right? And she hears of phrases in Anglo-Saxon. We have a friend who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and when she received the gift of tongues, she started speaking. And she said, this makes no sense to me because she was such an intellectual. She goes to her, her, her daughter's recital who was singing in choral, and there's on the page on one side is the song in English, and on the other side is the song in Latin because they're singing it in Latin. And as she hears the song in Latin, she hears the phrases she, she says when she prays in tongues. You know what they were? Words like captain of the host, the God of all holiness, the God of power and authority. They were majestic warrior words that God had given her as a language to pray back to him. Now, if that doesn't make you feel awkward, I don't know what does. But I don't know about you guys. But I'm tired of not feeling awkward. And I just wouldn't mind it a little bit. Because with the awkwardness, I think what happens is with the awkwardness comes the power. Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you power. I've been given it, all of it. And I am coming and I'm taking up residence inside of you. And I live inside of you and I'm going to move inside of you by my spirit. But you have to be willing to be a disciple, to hear what God says. That's the first question of a disciple. And secondly, what do I need to do about it. Sometimes that's a moment where you feel like I'm supposed to come share with one of the leaders that God is saying this, and maybe God is not just talking to me. Maybe it's something he's saying to the whole congregation. Maybe you're part of the prayer team, and you're praying ahead of time, and the Lord says, I want to give you a word of knowledge about a guy who's coming in whose knee is broken, and I want to heal it. What would it look like if we got serious about becoming the church? Welcome to the church, not a meeting, not a building, not a cultural moment that is in this time and looks like something, but something that was born from the power of God, birthed inside of a world that needed desperately the authority that Jesus had to come and do what? To invade the earth with God's power, His love, His mercy, His kindness, His benevolence, to pour that out. How did He choose to do it? He chose to do it through you and through me. So I want to challenge you. This is not hard. It sounds hard, but it's the easiest thing in the world. Rather than trying to figure out what you ought to do for God, just find out what God is already doing and do that. It's much easier.
So I just want to pray for us. But before I do, let me just leave you with this. Take some time. Because it doesn't happen by accident. Disciple, the root word is discipline, right? You have to set aside some time reading and praying. Um, You know, getting into some disciplines that actually take time. Carve it out of your week. Give it space. Come to service in our meeting. Come, you're the church coming to a meeting of the church. Come with a gift because you are one and you have them. Come with something. Be ready to bring your strength in every way to the meeting. Be ready to bring your strength on Wednesday night when people are hurting and they just need relationship because we've all been lonely for the past almost two years, right? Come and bring your strength, whoever God made you to be. My wife was talking about not overwhelming you know, people. We, we promise not to overwhelm you. My wife will overwhelm you. God, God made her to overwhelm you. Some of you guys are so laid back that you would never make friends if you didn't have my wife to go, so who are you and what do you do and how many kids do you have and what's your favorite color and whatever she does that she's so gifted at. And I watch her do that. And I'm telling you, she does it now just by, I promise you, it's just she doesn't even try. But it started out at some point saying, I want to take that gift and make it available to Jesus. And I've watched her. We did this one of my favorite times. We went to a restaurant right after Mother's Day. And she, right before we left, we had some gifts left over that we'd given on Mother's Day. And she grabbed one of them. She said, I'm going to give this to our waitress. And I said, there's a 50-50 chance, maybe not 50-50, that he, he's going to be a waiter. So what are you going to do about that? And she said, no, it's going to be a girl. It's going to be a woman. So I was like, okay, I'm skeptical. <laughs> we go in, sit down. This lady comes over and says, um, hey, I would like to, t- uh, like to take your drink order. What would you guys like to drink? And Karen whips this thing out and slams it on the table. Maybe not slams, but puts it out there so quick and startles the lady. And she goes, I just want to tell you that I want to celebrate you as a mother today. So I brought this as a gift because I know you're working and I wanted you to know that God loves who you are as a mother. And I'm like, oh my God, what if she's single and doesn't have any kids? <laughs> and Karen never thought that. But she, she trusts the Lord in ways that I can learn from. Can I tell you what happened? The lady came for a drink order, and she started crying. This is what she said. She told Karen. She, told, she spoke right to Karen. She said, you don't have no idea what that means to me because I have a little girl who's about four years old, and I'm working two jobs to try to make sure I can make a better world for her than the world I have, and I wonder sometimes if I'm a good mother. Karen said, well, it turns out God made sure you knew that you were a good mother because he sent me here to tell you about that. And also, by the way, let me tell you about his son. It was seamless and easy. She shared the gospel. She shared God's love. Here's the thing. You start out asking the questions, God, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing? What are you saying? And then what do I do about it? And you begin to dance a dance with God so closely that you don't know where he ends and where you stop. And that's literally what he meant it to be like. Built out of love, not obligation. You come to church because you can't wait to be the church and bring your strength on any given Sunday morning to serve in whatever capacity. If you love kids, pour your strength out on our kids. If you are a communicator, come do that well. If you just love people, man, if you've got a gift of mercy and compassion, will you just pour that out constantly? Would you pray for people? Would you love people? On Wednesday nights, whole new sets of gifts can come out and be available. 
But it's not going to work unless you become that learner, that follower of Jesus in such a way that he can take you now and build his church with you. Amen? Stand with me. Jesus, we love you. We love who you are. We love what you're doing in us. God, we are all learning. God, I pray this message challenges us to lean into what you have made available to us, Lord, that it wouldn't be condescending, Lord. It wouldn't be condemning, God. But more than anything, it would, it would create revelation, Lord, to see that we have, an un, we have an untapped inheritance that has been made available through you. So, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you most of all that you loved me first. And that my sin has been taken and thrown as far away as the east is from the west. And I come into your presence completely whole, beautiful. You see me, Lord, the way I'm supposed to be and not the way I've been challenged in the past. Lord, and you want to grow me out of all that junk and all the foolishness and the broken identity and every wrong thing, Lord. Because you have a purpose and a destiny and a mission for me to be on. This is a family business that you've called me into. We are the called out ones, Lord. And because of that, you've given us authority, you've given us power, you've given us wisdom and insight and understanding, you've given us gifts, Lord, you have equipped us for every good work. And so Jesus, we just say yes, we say yes to what you're doing, Lord, show us, teach us, Lord, not more than we should, not less, but just what you're asking and speaking into our life, and let us walk in the fullness of our inheritance, Lord, and most of all, let us take that and pour it out and blessings and kindness on the world around us and lead people to their Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have a great week. We love you guys.